Welcome to episode one of Chatter at the Bit. Horseman, horseman, horseman. So in our last episode, we were talking about how I like to group people into four different groups of what I call horse people. And it's kind of funny because throughout the years, um, I have traveled I've traveled all over North America with, with the horses, not just standard breads, but other breeds too. And I'm always amazed on, there's always one where you sit there and you don't know if you're astounded, amazed, or sickened. And those are three that shouldn't be going together. But I digress as we go further. Okay, I believe there are four types of horsemen. Now, the first one is the true horseman, just the all-round guy. This is the hor- this is the horseman when you walk into his barn and all the horses have their heads out, their ears are up, um, the horses are happy. He doesn't use gimmicks. He's pretty simplistic, knowledgeable. The horses are well-broked, well-mannered. He, and he's willing to discuss whatever question you might have. And he's he's willing to show you where and what that might be going on with your horse. They're the type that, you know, can cite the breeding to where they're specific. They can, they do sales, they do showing, they do performance. They, they have this natural talent that just kind of wows you. Um, in the riding horses, it's like, it's that, it's that one horseman. That can get up on a new horse and ride it for 10 minutes and get off and say, yeah, this is what needs to be done. This is where you need work. Not, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. It's like, okay, this is where we can improve. And in the race horses, especially the standard breads, it's the, it's the one person that uh, you can jump on behind and they can jog out a couple miles, come in and say, Okay, we need to change shoes, you know, we need to tighten up the hobbles, we need to loosen the check. And it's just, their raw ability is just, it's natural, it's not something read in a book. It's not something that is, can be seconded by anybody. And it's, I remember when I was maybe, I'd say about 10 years old, and I met my first, what I will call, true horseman, uh, horsewoman to be exact. Um, and it was like maybe eight, 10 and we're at the racetrack and it, uh, it was kind of one of those things. And my dad had to stop in and see a girl about a horse, let's say. And I kind of, it was a nice farm. It was an old bank barn and a couple of horses run around out in the field. And I kind of went, man, okay. So I'm sitting there and I watched this woman. She had to be, oh, I'd say easy, 70 years old. Fairly plump woman. Um, You could tell she'd been on the farm all her life, but, you know, to each his own. And she comes out and she starts talking to my dad. And she's telling him, she's like, listen, you know, this, she's ringing off things that are wrong with this mare. And he's like, yeah, I know. What, what's your point? Like, you know, and she's like, I'm not giving her back to you. I want to work with her some more. Me being young, naive and stupid. I'm thinking they're talking about a standard bread. 
I only found out years later they were not. They were talking about an Arab that dad had taken on a deal and he sent it up to this woman and, you know, to sell. Just get rid of her. Just, you know. And I kind of, I think back, and I don't know why that memory is so vivid to me, but I think back and I go, I want to be that. You know, I want to be the person that looks at the horse for the horse. Um, I want to be able to devise my own methods and implement them and make them work. That's the type of person I want to be. That's the type of stable I want to have. I want to have a herd of horses that when I go to the gate, they're all running in because they know that it's safe. I, I want that if I say a horse is to, this is how you teach them to back up. This is what how it's done. You know, and that's a true, and I've met, I've had the incredible privilege throughout the years of meeting so many true horsemen that there, there's really is too many to list. Some men, some women, and every time, every single interaction with a horseman, I have walked away and learned something. I have walked away in amazement. And I've walked away to say, that's what I want a piece of. And that's really what true horsemen are. It's like, they're the whole package. They're the package that you wrap up in a bow, give at Christmas time, you know. And there's not a lot of them in the horse industry. I would say, in my opinion, it's maybe 1-2%. Um, but you know it when you see it. And everybody has had that privilege, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. So we've talked about the natural horsemen. I mean, I can never get enough of talking about people like that because it's just, you sit there and you just, you're in amazement. So that brings us to the next group of horsemen that uh, are, are in the industry, and that's the pros. These are the, these are the people that have the talent. They have the knowledge. They have what they need to get to where they want. They focus on the stats. You know, they're competitive. They want to build the reputation. They're generally trainers and or drivers, riders, bronc riders. Um, but they are the people that take horsemanship to the next level. They're performance people. They're Whether it be show ring, whether it be racetrack, whether it be, you know, just running around a few barrels. You know, these are the ones that you have to respect because they're jumping on different horses. You know, these are the ones that are that breeders are sending their horses to to promote the lines. These are the, the guys that say, hey, this sire's good, this horse is good, and get your picture in the paper. You know, that they already have the talent. They're just with their they're just commercializing it. They are horsemen. They are talented. Well, some can be, some can be dicks too, but you get that in anything, you know, but they have commercialized their field. They have said, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do the best at it. And when you're the best at it, nobody says shit to you. So, and it's for as many different breeds are out there, I would have to say, in my opinion, the hardest core 
pros are standard breads. I mean, you know, the knowledge that they have to have to keep a horse racing, of knowledge of vet work, of lameness, of shoeing, of aerodynamics, of equipment. It just, it is literally something that you sit down at night and you're like a chemist, not really a chemist. You're, you're like, you know, a mechanic that you're sitting doing this. Um, but then you sit there and you look at dressage. Holy crap. Never done dressage in my life. Wouldn't even attempt it. But you watch a dressage show and the stoic, the maneuvers, the unison to the horse is completely spellbounding. Um, it's something that is for a select few as it should be, you know, and then you have your, your Western people, you have your, you know, your rainers, you have your barrel racers. I, you know, I've done barrels once in my life and I'll tell you one thing, it scared the crap out of me. I'm not that brave, but yet I'll get behind a thousand pound horse and go a mile in two minutes. But those are the people that enjoy the thrill and they want to take their horse along with it. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, in my opinion. Like, these are the people that want the thrill of the game, but still respect the horse. And there's a lot of them out there. And when you meet a pro and you don't smile, you're made of stone, man. That's simple as that. Because a pro is just that. And, you know, it's something that if you ever have an opportunity to work under a pro, take it and run. Because the learning opportunities is something that will stay with you for the rest of your life. You know, and that's the pros. I have the highest respect for pro horse people. You know, and the next one we have. This is the one I think is just cute. My third group is the weekenders. And you kind of sit there and go, okay, now these are people... That we need in the industry. And why? Because of the enthusiasm and the love and the respect. These are people that are paying six, seven hundred dollars board for their horse that is probably some grade, nothing at all, but it's cute as hell to them. And these are the ones that are hauling these horses out to the show because they're proud. And they're the they're the type of people who, you know, expect their barn to look after their horse per se but they want to learn you know they're pretty quick to get in there and jump into uh, cleaning out a stall scrubbing out a water bucket you know asking well why is my horse getting this feet like what does it mean um i on many occasions i'll get calls from friends of mine that it'd be like well i want to do this but my barn manager says this it's like well you don't have to do that like you you know, there's many ways you can do things. Um, I'm the type of person, despite being controversial, maybe a little bit sarcastic, and when it comes down to wanting information, if I can help you out, I will. And the weekenders are the ones I like to help the most because they're the ones that if their horse comes to them at the gate in the field, that is a reason to take a selfie and we're happy and and but don't understand why. 
you know, they just know that their baby came to them. Whereas we're sitting back going, that's because he trusts you. You know, they're the ones that are making the cute faces. And the industry needs weekenders because that's where the excitement comes from. Because when you meet a weekender, and I know a few, uh, I have one that actually has a horse I bred. And I mean, is her excitement and love is like a virus. You have nothing to do but smile, you know, and they're doing the best they can with what they have, but they're loving it. And anybody who is that passionate and love their horses and the industry that much, you know, is infectious. And any true horseman or pro will take a weekender and say, come on, let's take a trip. You know, let me give you a hand. Because that's what you want to put your time in on. You want to put your time in on something that's going to actually be appreciated. And that's what the weekenders do. And it's not just in kids. People say, oh, no, it's not in kids. It's, I know one lady I met years ago. Um, I may be a little old, but uh, she was 61 years old. And she came to me to buy a horse. And I kind of went, this was one of my true experiences with a weekender. And I had a couple for sale. I was just kind of bopping around. And, and she said to me, she goes, I hear you have a horse for sale. I said, well, I have a few of them for sale. Everything has a price tag. Me being, the, you know, uh, thinking I was dealing with a horse person. And she goes, that one's pretty. And I went, I kind of had to take a step back. And I kind of went... What? Because <laughs> it just it very much caught me off guard. Because well, that one's pretty, and I I looked at her and I said, "Do you know anything about horses?" And she looks. She goes, "No." I go, "Do you know how to ride?" She goes, "No." And I said, "Then why don't we try?" You know, let's get you some lessons and maybe maybe do a little bit of a part board. And, you know, nope. She says, and I, I never forget the way she said this. She's sitting right there. She had her cowboy boots on and her cowboy hat. And she goes, listen. She says, I'm 61 years old. I've lived my damn life. She goes, now it's time for me to do what I damn well want. She goes, and I want to be a cowboy. And I kind of went... Alrighty then, let's rock. So she didn't buy a horse for me, but I did send her to somebody that I would I knew I knew would give her a horse that she could learn on. I had nothing that that I would trust with somebody with that less of experience. And in, in the horse business you gotta have integrity. So she called me up about about a year later and I was going through a kind of a tough time in my life. And, and she goes, do you remember me? And uh, I am a person that is terrible with names. It's almost comical. And I said, I don't recognize the name. She goes, I came to buy a horse off you and you told me no. I went, oh. I said, you're ringing a bell clearer now? And she goes, well, she goes, I want to thank you. She goes, I want to tell you what you did for me that day. And I was like, okay. And I'm not one to be in front of the camera or, or on a pedestal. I'm kind of a in-behind-the-scenes type of person. And she goes, I just 
finished my first show today. I said, that's wonderful. She goes, I got a ribbon. I said, that's wonderful. She goes, no. She goes, it's not wonderful. She goes, it's fantastic. She goes, two months before I came to see you, I lost my husband. She goes, we had been together since we were 14 years old. She goes, I didn't know what to do. We'd always wanted to go for a horseback ride. We never got the chance, you know, with life and kids. And I was like, holy shit. And she goes, and when you sent me away, she goes, I was heartbroken. She goes, and then I found Gus. And my response was, who the hell's Gus? She goes, Gus is my pony. I went, all right. So I kind of kind of got a bit curious here. And I kind of went, what is Gus? Gus was an 18-year-old Clyde Cross. In my opinion, I wouldn't have it in my barn. That he was just a plain bay. He had a big white blaze. And he was about 16 hands high, and he loved her. I went over, and I went, holy crap. Like, this big galoot, he was done with lessons. He'd been there, done it. And, you know, he was what she needed. He wasn't the prettiest horse in the pack. Hell, he wasn't even the fastest. He might have been the fattest. But to see the two of them, you kind of sit back and you go, that's a weekender. That's what our industry needs. You know, it's save the, save the accuracy to the other people. Let's take the people that just get excited and never forget her. So it just kind of was like, hmm, I can go with that. So it's, it's, uh, it, uh, it still to this day puts a smile on my face. And that leads us to where I just laugh. We got the whores people. I say that... And everybody's kind of going, oh, my God. I say that because everything that comes out of their mouth is ridiculous. Is These are people who generally ride the most expensive horses. Um, they read a lot of books. They take whatever is seen on the Internet as fact. Um, they, they always reference trainers. It's like, well, you know, I went to here and seen this trainer. And I mean... Uh, to each his own on that. That's okay. But as horses will teach you, you can go to 15 different trainers and a horse will prove you wrong. You know, and it's always the horse's fault. It's like, this is what, you know, it's, it's the people where they're putting winter turnout sheets, polos, and bell boots on the horse in the middle of summer. And you're kind of going dumbass now they're the people that will what i would on the internet will also call keyboard warriors that'll say well your horse isn't doing this right okay you're passing that judgment on what you know and then when you question them or you challenge them they immediately become mad because how dare you talk to me like that they're entitled they're they're arrogant but yet can't defend their position and i'm all about i'll sit and discuss absolutely anything when it comes to horse, I'll discuss it venomously. And, you know, I'm also the type of person that if you can't defend your position, you don't know shit. Maybe that's harsh on my part. You might have me there. But the horse people are the ones that do as they're told. They don't have a clue why they're doing it. They don't have a clue 
you know, what it, whether it benefits a horse. These are the ones that are running around with a whip out in the field to try and catch the horse. These are the ones that won't put a chain over a horse's nose because it's cruel and inhumane, but yet we'll let the horse run all over them. These are the ones that can't get the horse on the trailer out of show and because it's the horse's fault, because he's stressed. These are the ones that generally try to very much humanize horses. And there are so many, so many of them around. There's too many to count. Um, that's what I love about standard breads because you don't get a whole lot of horse people in standard breads because you don't make any money if you're a horse person. It's real simple. But you see it a lot in the Western pleasure um, simply because it's it's an easy thing. So like these... You know, like a real horseman will, your show circuit maybe in Ontario is maybe 5, 10, maybe 15 shows a year. And they'll pull them out of the field, they'll run a few barrels with them, do a four or five classes with them, won't have a pail of water for them, won't take them out for a pee, and then wonder why their horse colics. This is a person that will run to the vet for absolutely everything because that's the only one that needs, you know, and you over the years, I just don't have a tolerance for them anymore. I used to kind of amuse myself, and um, I used to kind of, I used to kind of say, okay, you know, like they're just learning. But now it's just like, you know, go away, go back under your stone, you know. And and going in reference, oh, there's literally too many to count. It's like village idiot, the whole damn village. But we did have one. Is um, we use, in our barn, um, we use uh, neck ropes when we're teaching our horses how to stand tight. And whether you agree or disagree, I don't really give a shit. But we use neck rope because if a horse ever breaks a halter, you're never going to get them tied up again. You know, to teach them properly is you need to let them teach themselves. And they learn two things with a neck rope is, one, they learn that the pressure on the rope, they come forward, the pressure is released. They're learning that. They're learning that they have to be patient. No matter how many times they act like jerks, they're going to still be there. And I am very simplistic in how I, how I train our horses because... I let them be horses, but I let them teach themselves because let's face it, I'm not going to push around a thousand pound horse and nor am I going to try, but you know, I digress. So we go back and it's, uh, I was talking to this one girl, we're at some, I don't know, some, I'm not a very social person, but we're at, we're, I actually was out at something and this girl, we're talking about neck ropes and the girl was asking me, a friend of mine was asking me, well, how would you make one? I said, well, it's just a rope. And I said, you want to make sure it's a, a fairly thick cotton rope so it doesn't burn or anything I said and this girl she wasn't even in our conversation and she wheels around and I'll never forget she's got these bright pink cowboy boots on and I remember looking down going what the okay so and she goes how dare you abuse your animal like that it was like what and she goes that's abuse I go what's abuse she goes, a neck rope and lip change. And, and I said, no, it is not abuse. It's called properly corrective training. 
She goes, well, I, she goes, I read an article that if you use a neck rope, you can displace their pull and break their neck. Well, I said, I'm happy for you. It's like, uh, okay. She goes, that's why you just, you have to use a proper rope halter. It's like, well, no, you're 100% wrong. I said, but better yet. And then I got a little, I got a little ouchy. And I said, better yet. I go, I have a 16-hand, 1,400-pound quarter horse that will take your little rope halter and he will have it broken about two seconds. Rope halters don't break. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Not when they're made properly. It's rope. How hard can it be? And it turned into be a little bit of an argument. And, and I turned around, I said, and I said, where's your horse? And she goes, well, right there. Horse is standing there, little paint gelding, I think. And the thing's head is down. You can tell that it needs water. You can tell it's just, it's a well-broke pony. And I said, do you might want to give your horse some water. Well, no, we're not done the show yet. I said, are you kidding? It was 105 degrees. Now, I'm fluffy. So if I'm hot, I can guarantee you they're hot. And I kind of got a little bit, as my hubby would put it, I kind of got a little bit bitchy. Because I started saying, oh, so it's okay to dehydrate them, leave them standing at a post, no hay, no water. Uh, he's waggling his wee-wee, he's got to pee, and you're over here bitching at me about whether I use a neck rope or not. Do you see the problem here? She didn't see it. As scary as it was. But she had, you know, she had the best saddle. She had the funkiest breastplate. Like, you could tell everything was top of the line, which is, okay, wonderful for you. But it, you can't gauge your horsemanship skills based on how much money you spend on a horse. It's not about that. It's about doing right for the horse. If you have to gauge and state how much money you spend on your horse, then it's not about the horse. But we, there's village idiots in every crowd. And that's kind of my lumping together of very randomly, of course there's a lot of subsections, of what I call horsemen. So you kind of take it or leave it, but all in all, it makes for an amusement day if you get to see all four of them in one shot. Stay tuned for next episode. See you later.